Hello from Hollywood and welcome to the Greatest Show on Grass podcast. I'm your host and ringmaster, Joshua Newman, as we explore the past, present, and future of the recently reconstituted Los Angeles Rams. I'm joined today by very special guest, Jenny Lee Harrison. Jenny Lee Harrison is an actress, probably best known for her roles as Cindy Snow on the hit sitcom Three's Company between 1980 and 1982, and Jamie Ewing Barnes on Dallas from 1984 to 1986. But perhaps more importantly, from the standpoint of this podcast, she was one of the original LA Rams cheerleaders in 1978. Hello, Jenny Lee. Raw. <laughs> <laughs> hey. So we uh, we begin each episode with a segment called Ramdom, uh, where we choose something that, that recently happened and why it it matters for Rams fans. And this week I thought it might make sense to talk about uh, the selection of the new Rams cheerleaders. So Jenny Lee, it was around this time of the year, like 1978, when the original LA Rams cheerleaders were, were forming. What do you remember about your audition? I remember thinking when I showed up at the LA Coliseum and there were hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of girls, uh, gorgeous women, dressed in really skimpy clothing. And I just looked at my mom who had taken me down there and we're sitting in these, uh, the grandstands. And I just remember looking at her and saying, why am I here? This is, I'm so far out of my league. And my mom said, Oh, come on, honey, let's, we'll just go get a burger or something and we'll hang out. Cause you had to, you had to be there for hours and hours and hours and hours till you, you got your number, they assigned you a number and then you had to get up and show off your stuff. And what, um, why did you want to be there? <laughs> was this a lifelong dream of yours? Um, no, it was just, uh, I don't know. And, I, and again, maybe my mom even read about my mom's, my mom's a real jock, actually. And, and so was I. So I was a, a junior Olympic swimmer and, um, and always loved being outdoors and fishing and uh, doing things like that, riding horses. And uh, it, it was in the newspaper and, hey. L.A. Rams cheerleaders are being organized. And I thought, wow, what a fun opportunity. So, And so you remember, so you're with 800, this is the first day of the auditions, 800 girls show up. Plus, yeah. Plus. Yeah. And oh, you're waiting for your number to get called. Your number does get called. What do you remember from the actual audition? Uh, they had, they had a, um, uh, what what do I want to call it? A stand, a parade stand, a runway, yeah. a runway on the field. And there were all these judges, celebrity judges. And I remember like people like Will Chamberlain or Jim Hill. And um, they were all lined up, sitting in chairs behind this and uh, runway. And we had to get up there and strut down the runway and somehow or another stick out. And uh, my philosophy in life is always that I'm not the prettiest girl in the room. Uh, I like to think that I'm one of the smartest. And so I think the way that you're going to be noticed is just be different, like do something different. And, uh, and in hindsight, I think why I got picked was because again, so many of these women, they showed up in string bikinis and uh, phenomenal dance wear and all that. And I showed up in um, a cowboy outfit you know, with the, 
with some, you know, sh- but not short- a Dallas cowboy outfit, to be clear. Right, 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 right. right. No, 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 no. Literally <laughs> a cowboy outfit. <laughs> so I mean, I had a white hat and um, jean shorts, and so uh, that would be the wrong and I had a- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. So I actually was clothed, and I think that they thought uh, at the time, like, oh, how refreshing a a, a girl with. All of her clothes on. Yeah. So uh, I don't it was know. an eclectic group. The final group got, you know, I think I, I spoke with uh, Dwight Stones, who was one of the judges. Yeah. And he said David really encouraged the judges to choose an eclectic group. They didn't want a team of Stepford wives. They, which is sort of subtext was that that's what the Cowboys were doing. And the Rams mm. were kind of, um, and uh, they the did a phenomenal ones. job of that. I will tell you that I did get into this whole foray of Hollywood and show business via beauty contest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, the, the original Rams cheerleaders embraceable use, yeah. uh, which we were down, like, I think there was 24 finally that went into the whole thing, but it was the most beautiful group of women from all different walks of life. And there was, there, n- n- no girl was the same. And they were all just uniquely beautiful, hardworking, smart. Different and, walks of life. Oh, it was like, I compared even, it was like the Zigfield Follies or mm. something that the, what you hear about that, mm-hmm. that the Zigfield Follies girls, my uh, barn manager here in LA is a, is a woman that was raised in the um, show business and her parents, her dad was uh, actually the famous character actor and her mom was a Zigfield Follies girl. Mm. And I just remember hearing those stories and those women themselves too uh, have to work very, very hard, but they're, no one's a copycat of one another. They're all uniquely different. So let's talk about some of the unique personalities. Um, there was, of course, um, in addition to you, there was uh, Patty Cotero, right, mm-hmm. who became a big star, uh, changed her name to Apollonia, co-starred with Prince in Purple Rain, and then did the Apollonia 6. Um, she actually, and then briefly was on Falcon Crest, actually, um, with uh, Lorenzo Lamas. Uh, <laughs> any excuse to just say the word, the, the name Lorenzo Lamas. I, that was <laughs> my intention. But what do you remember about Patty um, during those days? Uh, I, I just remember that she'd always come in and she was a, a strong, but, uh, but, uh, you could tell a strong, wise woman, but, uh, was not clicky. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, uh, came in to do the job, get it done. She was one of the and, stepping um, stone, you know, this is a stepping stone type thing. This isn't my dream come true necessarily. You know. Um, you know, I, I have to say, I never had that discussion with any of the girls. I mean, we were. We worked so hard. We worked so hard to get there. And once you uh, became, got on the squad, which was exhilarating, we had to rehearse three to six times a week, four to eight hours a day. You came in to get the job done. I mean, uh, you, you showed up, you got in line and started learning the, the, the dance uh, routines. So, um, you know, we never kind of sat there. And I, I think we were you know, just going through it, trying mm-hmm. to do the best possible job we could that I, I couldn't even, I wasn't there envisioning where else I wanted to go because right. I was just trying to do such a good job while yeah. I was there. Someone else who uh, uh, joined the team and was at all these practices was uh, Phyllis Wagner. Uh, yes. talk, talk about an eclectic group. Yeah. Uh, Phyllis Wagner, who was um, pom-pom mom. known as pom-pom mom. Mm-hmm. Tell us about her and, and um, her impact on the group. Well, Phyllis showed up at uh, 
the tryouts at the Coliseum. Uh, not on her side being a fluke, but everybody else was like, thought it was a fluke. Because why would this, why would this um, older woman, yeah. senior woman that at the time, I don't know how old she, let's say she's 60 years old, but she was a bit heavy set and in glasses and everything else and showed up in some sort of a, a, dress, a fringy dress mm-hmm. and was just there to root everybody on. Yeah. She, she wasn't there to uh, become one of the girls. She was there to say, I so dig that the Rams are doing this. She was a, uh, uh, she, actually a season ticket holder for the Rams uh, for years and years and years. Right. She was just a big, big Ram fan. It was so excited. Glenn, I believe she lived in Glendale or worked in Glendale and um, yeah, 30 years a ticket holder and showed up in a, in, it said, I think some, the t-shirt said every inch a woman. <laughs> it's like an incredible story, really. Oh, and, and she was really a beautiful woman too. And so, yeah, so she was there and just kept going with us through the whole thing. And in the, and in the beginning, I don't know when you could go ask uh, David who was in charge, but uh, they had no intention of her from the beginning doing this, but she was so uh, forthright and a staunch supporter and was there through thick and thin because we had many tryouts and it kept going, kept going. And she was there for all of it, just supporting us. And I think it really turned around at the end and they said, you know what? We don't want this woman to leave. She should stay on the squad. And they said, you know what? We're picking you too. And uh, that wasn't ever her intention. You talk about David Marish, who's the uh, sort of brains behind the LA Rams cheerleaders who approached Carol Rosenblum with the idea for establishing the cheerleaders at, said, why does, why do the Cowboys have a cheerleading team? We have the most beautiful women here in LA. We should have cheerleaders. Carol Rosenblum gives him the thumbs up. Um, it was actually Carol Rosenblum who ended up calling uh, Phyllis and offering her um, a spot with the team with one stipulation. Uh, she was not allowed to pose for Playboy. Um, <laughs> I do remember that story. But um, yeah, she was very loved. Yeah. And uh, and David Marish, though, also becoming getting the idea of the Rams is David Marish uh, and still is. I mean, David Marish is very active today. And I, I, I swear the guy doesn't age. He looks he looks better today than when I first met him. I mean, he just looks fabulous, but he was a, he's a big PR agent mm-hmm. and he was very well known as he was a big sports agent. Mm-hmm. So he was a big PR guy for everybody from Muhammad Ali to, you know, the, the fighters, Deacon Jones. yeah, players. And yep. so, yeah, his, and, and throughout his career, I can also say, because David and I are friends, um, his heart was, his baby was the LA Rams cheerleader. So when we recently got together at a reunion, um, which was our first reunion uh, since all of us got together some 30 years ago, uh, when he was introducing the girls at this uh, event, uh, I've never seen him choke up. And he was just started crying. It was, it was very, very special. Wow. Yeah. And um, how, how, let me, so, so the season starts, you're, you know, um, or there's leading up to the season, you're rehearsing. A lot of you are learning how to dance. You aren't professional, unlike the Cowboys who are hiring professional dancers and have a choreographer running the team. Uh, You've got David running the team and he's, you know, more interested in, in some ways in developing celebrities than he is in developing dancers. Uh, But that being said, you still have to learn. Now, mind you, you can say all that, which is, uh, 
I suppose is all factual. At the time, we didn't know why. Again, it was it was much more clear of he was picking girls that were different and unique in themselves. Um, I would think that most of the girls had, I mean, had some sort of dance experience, but we had professional dancers from Vegas, Chicago and all that. But I mean, like I was, I was a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. So uh, what he, how they did it with us is they had four lines Mm -hmm. and in each line was this, you know, six girls and six girls and six girls and six girls. And those lines were based on the, uh, uh, the quality of the dancer. Okay. So I will say myself that I was very proud that I was in the third line. Sure. I wasn't in the fourth, okay. but I mean, it's like a dancing with the stars thing. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't at the end, okay. but you know, I wasn't in the beginning. Um, so we all knew that. And, and the professional dancers, uh, I would assume probably didn't have to do as much homework as the ones that, that we had to really work to learn it. You know, whereas I, I think, um, being involved in that is as when you're a professional dancer and you have a choreographer, which we did. So we had a choreographer assigned to us that would come in and say, okay, girls, this is the movement and this is what we're doing. And boom, 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 boom. And the professional dancers look at her and go, oh, okay, I'll do that. Boom, 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 boom. And the people like me are going, excuse me, the boom, boom. And where's the next boom, boom. So, but we, we all worked really, really hard. And I don't think anybody on the field, I don't think for a moment could tell by watching these girls who was, who was the dancer and who wasn't because uh, we learned we had our dance routines down. So for all that work you did, you must have uh, gotten paid a whole lot. Oh yeah. We got paid $15 a game, yeah. <laughs> $15. Well, $15 a game, which was supposed to cover a gas and buy us a hot dog. Right. And we got the hot dog. So, which sounds funny, but you know, a lot as the years have gone on, there's been more and more conversation. I'm not sure cheerleaders make a whole lot more than that these well, it was, days. It, it was recently in the yeah. news, in fact, that some there was a, law, uh, there was a lawsuit or something that she yep. said that they're not making as much as minimum wage. That's right. But again, um, throughout my career and anything that I've done in life, uh, I don't do anything for the job itself. Generally speaking, Mm -hmm. I do it for the opportunity Mm -hmm. because work begets work Mm -hmm. and opportunity begets opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like being here with you today. I I know you wanted to pay me huge money and I just said, no, no, Joshua, I just, I just wanted to be here in your presence. giggling from behind the panel. (laughs) Um, We all get the big bucks here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, what a, but I couldn't. I couldn't buy my seat right now in front of you, Joshua Trivoli. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> so let's go back. 19, 1978, you guys are the toast of the town. Merv Griffin show, Tonight Show, People Magazine. Everyone is talking about the embraceable use. Um, you end up uh, on a certain uh, primetime TV show in your in, as a Rams cheerleader. Uh, and I'm talking, of course, about your uh, cameo on Chips. Oh, so mm-hmm. that was, was mm-hmm. that your first, uh, television appearance? I, uh, before I even became a Rams cheerleader, I was, uh, I had done beauty contest, uh, and through beauty contest, I got into, uh, showbiz through doing television commercials. Okay. So I was doing a lot of commercials and all that. Um, but that was, I think maybe my first theatrical okay. role. And I think that's probably why I got it is uh, gave you all whenever, when, well, we, we had to audition. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I was already a, le- 
a legit, I mean, some people would question that, I guess, but I was already acting. And so I I just knew how to go in and do auditions and how to uh, study lines and read lines and all that. So because as a Rams cheerleader, what did happen is uh, we had uh, opportunities every week that again, we'd show up at dance rehearsal and people would be calling David or the other managers and saying, okay, I want to hire some of the cheerleaders. And we'd have people come through, including Bob Hope. And I mean, it's, uh, it was, it's cutthroat that we would all line up those 24 girls and they, these people basically walk, walk in the building and say, okay, I want this one, this one, this one, and this one. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and they're not when, taking personality tests there. Uh, yeah. uh, right. I yeah. mean, they're, well, it's from, uh, but I will say, I think behind the scenes, David was also standing there. And if they needed some huge dance number, right. David would also say, well, and you should really look at the, you know, yeah. these six over here to be real honest. And right. you could have the other ones for more, you know, but Hey, that's, that is what a cattle call is, you know, and you go into it. Um, I would think, you know, you go, I went into it with, um, the greatest of happiness. I mean, it was like that, that is what it is. And so it take it. Sometimes people would say, Oh, weren't they taking advantage of you? But I always thought, Hey, I'm taking advantage of them. Look at, I'm the one getting the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, uh, I always thought, Oh, again, like how, how was I even here in the first place? I was a little girl from the San Fernando Valley with no aspirations in being in show business, was just a tomboy and everything else. I was truly born the fat, ugly death of the family and uh, just wanted to go fishing, like I said before, in horseback riding. And here I was in Hollywood as a professional cheerleader and Bob Hope's in the room that I've been up to. And Bob Hope did pick me once, you know, so it's like, oh, I already won. I won by just becoming Bob Hope, a very cheerleader. special relationship with the Rams, by the way, was one was for years a co-owner of the team, actually regularly frequented Rams games. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, it was neat. Um, by no means your biggest achievement. Um, but uh, since this is a podcast about the Rams, it's mm-hmm. worth noting that you dated two Rams <laughs> players. Yes. Uh, a six time yes. all pro guard, Dennis Hara and uh, the singing safety. Jeff Severson. Uh, Tell me uh, a little bit about each of them. When I knew I was only going to, I wasn't going to come back, try out for a third year. uh, I met Jeff and decided, well, I'm going to go out with him because I'm not coming back. So I went out with Jeff and it was a a great learning curve for me and everything else. And he was also um, an actor. And Jeff was, yes, he was, because uh, Jeff then was also leaving the Rams and then he was going to start, he was involved in real estate. He was involved in acting. He's still today, he's still as his group, the singing safety or something. He's a, he's a pretty darn great singer. So he's a country Western singer. I remember um, he played, oh, this is a neat story. He played at the Palomino, the famous Palomino, oh, okay. which is a, a, you know, famous old time um venue, country Western venue in the top of San Fernando Valley there. And, uh, the day that Jeff Severson was playing, uh, another guy was playing with him, part of the band, a a wonderful actor by the name of Steve Easton. And he was in the band and I was singing backup. So I would sing backup with Jeff. And, but what the best part of the story is about is that at the Palomino, there was a manager there and he was, um, parlaying off, uh, at the time, there weren't CDs, uh, so albums or, or four, yeah. 48s or okay. something. But he was going, oh, this is this new band. Oh, try, oh, take it home and listen to him. We're going, really? And some guys just, you know, giving everybody one of these. Well, the band was Alabama. Wow. 
Wow. <laughs> and, and no one knew of them. And they were giving them to us, like coming to Jeff's show with me, you know, doing back up there. And oh, the guy's trying to hustle Alabama. So you never know what opportunity is going to come knocking through your door. And, uh, and Dennis Harrow, what do you remember about him? Big. But, yeah. He was big. Herc. <laughs> Herc. Yeah. Herc. They called him Herc because uh, he, to he, everybody in the, and I think that was even in the whole um, NFL that they knew him as the Herc for Hercules because the guy was just a, a Roman specimen yeah. in those days that, it, I, I mean, what, he was six, seven, three twenty, but solid muscle, yeah. you know, broad shoulders and everything else. And he was a good old country boy from West Virginia. So, and, and Dennis, the, the neat thing about Fun thing about Dennis at the time, too, is Dennis with a, a wonderful partner of his by the name that I'm still nice friends with is a guy by the name of John Morris. Uh-huh. And John Morris is a restauranteur, entrepreneurial guy that uh, lives down in Long Beach and runs a few restaurants. And he uh, got together with Dennis and said, hey, we should start a restaurant. And they started Legends, right. which today is a, still a franchise and a wonderful, but it's it's one of the first original sports bars. And they had a wonderful, uh, really nice restaurant. And the players would often go in there and they had a lot of memorabilia and, you know, but Legends is still down there. And uh, the Rams used to work out in Long Beach. Right. And so a lot of the players were down there. And of course, that's where Legends still is, is on 2nd Street in Long Beach. Nice. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, Rams cornerback Daryl Henley and and getting involved with the Rams cheerleader. And then (laughs) there's you and Dennis and you and Jeff and Nolan. Wait, 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 wait a second. To to put those right together, Don Henley and the cheerleader. Then you go straight to Dennis and Jenny. Don Don Henley was opening up for Alabama, I think. (laughs) Daryl Henley was the cornerback. But okay, okay. But but but, I mean, I know that that's what you're talking about. You know, Nolan also, Nolan Cromwell also married a cheerleader. So, so. Oh, I thought you were talking though about Daryl with the, because he kind of got into he got bad, into trouble. Of he course, got into trouble. That didn't end up. Okay, so that's so not well. where you're where you're going no, with I'm, it. You're I'm, just talking about relationships. I'm just talking about relationships for something that is taboo. They certain uh, certainly um, happened a lot between players and cheerleaders. Uh, in well, the again, 70s and for 80s. in in to my knowledge, I don't think it happened a lot. Okay, and I'll also say that I think uh, Mary Gear Mary was a cheerleader. Uh, uh, when I was originally, but Mary stayed on the squad and Mary was a cheerleader for years and years and years. And she didn't get together with Nolan. I think till again, she quit being a cheerleader. And then, uh, and that's to my understanding. I think that that's what she communicated. So uh, it, it was taboo. And I mean, I, I don't know how it is today. I mean, I'm, I'm I don't keep up with the right. professional cheerleading league, but if we had, uh, if we had been doing that and got caught, which we would have, I mean, we were, we were together too much. You couldn't have been on the squad. You would have been fired. So, so when you say it happens a lot, I don't know. It's a lot less than one would imagine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So we covered the Rams, I think a ton um, from the Rams. You go to three's company, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, you've got this one incredibly high profile you know, event in 1978, the Rams cheerleader, and then this other high-profile event. Mm. A lot of people you talking about this nationwide. You replace Suzanne Somers yes. on a very successful television show, mm-hmm. Reese Company. Um, can you give a sense of the 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 attention you were you received at that moment? A lot. Yeah, it, and it was hard. Yeah. It's tough. Uh, 
no matter what anybody tells you, fame is fame's really tough. Mm-hmm. And um, you were young. it's and I and and well, because also generally speaking, the most famous people are young people. Sure. You know, I mean, that's how that's how you know we live in a, a society that uh, no one wants to age, right? right. So um, when you get that kind of scrutiny and that kind of famousness at that young age, it, it was really, really, really tough. Now, mind you, uh, I also, I have a fabulous life and thank you, you know, Lord, that uh, I had that opportunity and, and continued to have the opportunities that I do today. So it gave me a great life, but uh, yeah, it's tough. It, it, it was great. I had, I had, uh, when they first called me up, my agent called me up and said, Hey, they want to see you on this interview, like right now. And I'm like, ah, it was in the middle of the summer, uh, or, or something. I just remember being really hot. I was in my condo and I just gotten in for the day and I went, Oh, I don't want to go on this interview. And I go, what's it for? And they go, Oh, well, they're looking to replace Suzanne Summers. And I'm like, really? I don't want to go like me. Like what's the chance of this one? And, um, I walked in and Got the part. You become Cindy Snow. I became Cindy uh, Chrissy Snow. Snow's cousin. Um, mm-hmm. And do any of those episodes, those Three's Company episodes in particular, stand out? Ones that you really uh, cherish uh, more than the rest? There's two offhand, if you're going to ask, because I've seen the clips probably a lot of times. But there's one of the most famous clips that I'm in with John Ritter, and um, it involves an ironing board. So lots of people that might see that. And it's funny because uh, John Ritter, by the way, to the secrets of show business, is John, who was uh, modern day Charlie Chaplin, fabulous with physical comedy and uh, the great great, uh, actor that he was that could also be in sling blade. So from one extreme to the other. Um, but John would wear, uh, knee pads, Mm. elbow pads, everything else. So if you watch three's company, you, uh, practically never see him in a short sleeve shirt. He Mm. has long sleeve because he has padding all over that. He's so good. So, uh, John, you know, helped me with the moves and taught me about, so that ironing board specifically goes is choreographed. So I don't totally take out his gonads or something while we were, we were doing it, but that one's fun. And then the other one was hysterical is, uh, we did a live show and you never, never lost a line, dropped a line, forgot a line, cracked up. You got through that because we were in front of a live audience. And, uh, one time, um, Joyce DeWitt, uh, John Ritter, myself, we're all in the apartment and um, Mr. Furley, Don Knotts, is outside knocking on the door. We're not expecting him. This is the story because he's gone to the airport or something. So when the door opens, the the line, I think John Ritter asked him, like, Mr. Furley, wh- why are you back? You're supposed to be at the airport. And and when he'd open up the door, the fog machine with the guys behind the curtain doing the fog machine, when he opened the door, the fog was so much, you couldn't even see him. So it looked totally unbelievable. Like the line was, oh, the airport got fogged in. And we had to wait so long to get the smoke out of the room. So yeah. everybody just started cracking up. And I went in the audience and we had to like, you know, and you can't wait like five minutes in a live show to get through the smoke. So we had to stop. And and then we had to do it like another time. Where the were these live thing. shows? I- <laughs> so we did um, right up here at on Fairfax, right next to the Grove, at, which is actually, we were an ABC show, but we filmed at CBS Studios because they had lots of studios there. Uh, Do you know what else rooms. is at that CBS Studios? What? CBS Studios was is built upon the former Gilmore Field, 
Gilmore Field was where the Rams practiced until 1958. How do you like that? See, it was all meant to be. All meant to be. Um, full right circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but keep going. So tell me more. So you're at, um, at the Rams practice field and uh, uh, no, you're at CBS. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going way yeah, with yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. So we were at CBS studios and we would do how we did it is we would do two live shows. So we, we, we didn't have laugh tracks, you know, it was actual right. laughter in the audience. And did you, um, work with, Norman Fell at all? I I did, and they because Nor- Norman Fell is pretty much my Olivier. Oh, so he I, was a I, phenomenal I, I actor. Yes, and and so they went up. Do you know what happened with that? Is that they were on the show and they did so well, they decided to do a spinoff. Sure. So they took them and they went off into the spinoff, and then this, and then they hired Don Knotts, right. who then worked great in his character. But then Norman's show didn't last. Right. So they like missed their gig on Thursday and then their other show didn't last. But I mean, they have, they had a great track record anyway. So, um, yeah. So Don Knotts came on the show and, and, but they came back to ask again about, I worked with them. They came back for some guest appearances. Just like one time I look at him today and think what a phenomenal actor and what a career he's had is, is one time the p- sort of people that we'd have on that show is Jeffrey Tambor yeah. came on that was supposed to be. He was on the Ropers, I think too. Um, when they went off and tried that experiment, I think uh, he was uh, a regular on the Ropers. Oh, uh, he, well, he came on our show and Looks I was supposed exactly to. Exactly the same. Yeah. Yes. Doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And well, and, and at the time too, and I was really young, uh, the, the story was, is he came on and he was, uh, they were trying to, somebody was trying to set him up to, to be my husband. Oh, and wow. I was at freaking out because he was kind of older and everything else right. that I, so I just didn't want to marry him. So. I went to to John Ritter and um, said, Jack, you need to help me. I can't do this. You have to get me out of it. So they helped me get out of that marriage with Jeffrey Tambor. Wow. Give me a great life. So my last, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is um, the 1980 Super Bowl. Um, so a lot of mm-hmm. uh, the dream, I guess, the fantasy of, of NFL players is to go to the Super Bowl in their last game. Your last game as a, Los Angeles Rams cheerleader was um, the nineteen eighty Super Bowl in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. At the Rose Bowl, yeah. the Steelers beat the Rams thirty one nineteen. But it was up to that point the most competitive Super Bowl. Um, there were six lead changes in the game. A very exciting game, um, and it's the closest thing that the Los Angeles Rams have had to a Super Bowl victory to this day. Um, do you, what, what are your, some of your fondest memories of, of that game or, um, and of also just going out and to the sunset, realizing this is going to be your last, you know, game with, with the Rams. And I'll, and in all actuality, what I think a lot of us were even thinking, we were freezing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's also whenever we would be on the field, gosh, it would piss me off that the, uh, uh, the cameramen and all that, the people that had more time that they, none of the players were ever looking at us. They're in the game, you know, the coaches are in the game, but it was always the press guys or whatever. And they'd be walking around because they had free time. They'd have a camera walking around with the press and they'd walk on bias and they have on down jackets and they're, and as they're breathing, the fog is coming out there and we're in these skimpy clothes. And I'm just thinking, how dare you get on your side? You know, (laughs) let us keep moving and uh, running our pom-poms. But no, it was great, and I'm and I feel so fortunate that, yeah, I was there.
In our final segment, which we call Film Study, we dissect an episode or scene from a film or TV show which prominently features, you guessed it, Los Angeles Rams. Thankfully, there are thousands to choose from, many of which we're chronicling on our greatest show on grass, Tumblr. This week, we unearthed an hour-long 1979 ABC documentary hosted by Regis Philbin about the birth of the Los Angeles Rams cheerleaders, entitled Man's Favorite Sports, Pom-Poms and Passes. For those of you who are thinking to yourself, why invest mental energy in some random TV special from the 70s? Well, Man's Favorite Sports, Pom-Poms and Passes offers an incredible funhouse mirror into the Rams universe and is a unique cultural document that communicates tons about sex and sexism, celebrity, and second-wave feminism. It is also, in a word, ridic. The credit, or blame, for the advent of modern cheerleading, of course, belongs to the Dallas Cowboys, but the Los Angeles Rams are an overlooked part of the story. Texas Ernest Tex Schramm was born in 1920 in San Gabriel, California, attended Alhambra High School, and graduated from the University of Texas with a bachelor's in journalism before becoming the Rams' publicity director in 1947. Like a reporter in search of a trend piece, Schramm started noticing antennas appearing on the roofs all over Southern California and came to the realization that football, as it existed, was catering to the small minority of fans who attended football games and ignoring the skyrocketing demographic watching on television screens in their living rooms. Under Schramm's watch, the Rams became the first NFL team to televise all of their games in 1950, which, while bringing about a dip in home ticket sales, substantially grew the Rams' brand. Boasted Schramm at the time, quote, there are more at-home spectators for one televised Ram game than there are in person for an entire season of Coliseum games, college and pro combined. Schramm was promoted to GM in 1956, but sick of owner Dan Reeves and his feuding partners, he left the Rams in 1957 to take a post with CBS. The innovations Schramm would become famous for at CBS and beyond had the modern television viewer in mind, including the instant replay, multicolor striping of the 20 and 50-yard lines, and perhaps more importantly from the perspective of this episode, modern cheerleading. Schramm became the GM of the newly created Dallas Cowboys in 1960, and by the mid-60s had turned the team into a juggernaut. Under Schramm, the Cowboys would have 20 consecutive winning seasons and appear in five Super Bowls while inspiring the nickname America's Team. Like many football franchises in the 1960s, the Cowboys fielded a co-ed cheerling squad composed of wholesome, megaphone-toting high school students. But Schramm realized that in the television age, cheerleaders would be seen and rarely heard. Megaphones might reach the thousands of ticket holders in the stadium, but camera close-ups? They could reach millions of viewers in their homes. Schramm would later recount 
Quote, I said the hell with it. Let's entertain him with our cheerleaders instead of trying to lead them in cheers. Dress him up pretty and let him entertain. Replacing high school sweethearts with dolled up showgirl types synced perfectly with the sexual revolution in strange and unpredictable ways. Feminists were looking at the cheerleader as the symbol of the enslaved woman, content to stand on the sideline and cheer for the patriarchy. But for the larger patriarchal culture, cheerleaders and feminists kind of looked alike. After all, they were both yelling with raised fists to crowds in very public ways, even if one was to support male hegemony and the other was to overthrow it. As a result, mainstream culture started depicting them as polar and equally ridiculous foils. The man-hating, hairy-legged feminist and the blonde-bomb-no-lights-are-on cheerleader, as scholar Molly Engelhart put it. Cheerleaders became particularly vulnerable to sexist taunts post-sexual revolution because even feminists wouldn't defend them. Schramm's plan to revamp the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders synced perfectly with the shifting cultural currents. And so in 1972, he hired New York choreographer Texie Waterman, who auditioned 60 women before settling on seven to wear the now notorious star-spangled Dallas Cowboy cheerleader uniform. While the new and improved squad was a hit with the Texas Stadium crowd to become the national phenomenon it would eventually become, Schramm would need some luck. And that luck came in 1976. It wasn't the first or last time a seemingly insignificant female gesture would become a watershed moment in popular culture. Think of Lana Turner running down the street and they won't forget or Marilyn Monroe walking over subway grading in the seven-year itch. But this time, it happened live, in front of 75 million viewers on the field of competition. During the 1976 Super Bowl between the Cowboys and the Steelers, a cameraman panned across the sideline, capturing a row of Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders in all their shimmering, and revealing glory. As the camera locked in on one named Gwenda Swearingen, she caught its gaze and winked back. Now, it might seem odd that such a tiny moment would prove so momentous, but that wink confirmed to television viewers what would soon become obvious in professional sports, that even if there were 80,000 people in attendance at the game you were watching, it was actually being played for you. Gwenda Swearingen's wink is con widely considered the moment when the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders became a national brand, a brand that would not go unnoticed by the rest of the teams around the league. Released on the heels of ABC's made-for-television movie, The Dallas Cowboys Cheerleaders, starring Jane Seymour, man's favorite sports, pom-poms and passes, takes its title from a campy Rock Hudson Paula Prentice sex comedy from 1964. But it is, in essence, a reality show about the making of the L.A. Rams cheerleading squad. It opens with elfish everyman Regis Philbin, who at the time was co-hosting a local morning show at KABC-TV. Here, he takes delight in his assignment with his own wink to the camera. 
It was last April when the Los Angeles Rams announced that they would be adding a cheerleading unit. We decided to cover this story like a blanket. Purely for journalistic reasons, you understand why we'd be there at those first auditions. We'd go right into that locker room and get those up-close and personal stories. We'd get the measurements. We'd get the phone numbers. Well, this program is the result. The Rams cheerleaders began when a PR man named David Mirish finagled a meeting with the cantankerous L.A. Rams owner Carol Rosenblum in March of 1978. Mirish's family owned the Mirish Film Company, which produced such classics as Fiddler on the Roof, The Apartment, and In the Heat of the Night. So he had Tinseltown in his blood. Early in his career, Mirish developed an uncanny ability to divine that ineffable star quality known as It. His most notable divination being Farrah Fawcett, who he discovered in 1968. Mirish boasted to Carol Rosenblum, that Hollywood had the most beautiful women in America and deserved to have its own cheerleading team. And Rosenblum gave Mirish the go-ahead to somehow make it happen. On the foggy morning of April 22, 1978, the first audition for the Los Angeles Ram cheerleaders took place at the Coliseum. Here's how Regis set the scene. There hadn't been that many announcements in the press, so the promoters expected maybe just a couple hundred girls would show up. But as the morning wore on, they kept coming and coming and coming. More than 800 of Southern California's finest, in every outfit you could imagine. Hot pants, jogging shorts, string bikinis. You never knew what would walk in next. What would walk in next? Nice, Regis. Man's favorite sports, pom-poms and passes, is as crude as it is corny which in many ways defied Mirish's intentions of establishing an anti-Dallas Cowboys squad. He even told the celebrity judges, Wilt Chamberlain, Eric Estrada, Cindy Garvey, that the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders seemed like they were right out of the Stepford Wives, the 1975 satirical film about a Connecticut neighborhood populated by beautiful zombie-like women defined solely by their desires to please their husbands. Mirish wanted his cheerleaders to be a collection of different personalities so that the fans could choose which one to identify with, each with their own form of, well, it. Carol Rosenblum put it more gruffly. We don't want them to all be hookers, he told one newspaper. Twenty-nine women made the team. They were more ethnically diverse than the Cowboys cheerleaders, but more importantly, they were a more eclectic group of personality types. There was DK, who had just done a gig with Jerry Lewis in Vegas, Beverly Jean Grinnis, who had been playing Snow White at Disneyland, and Julie Jordan, who had won a Tony for her performance in Man of La Mancha. Assembling a team of different types seemed even more important than assembling a team that could dance. Several of the original 29 Rams cheerleaders had zero dance experience, and as a result, there was something funny about them, something almost burlesque-like. Their uniforms were ridiculous, capes, sequins, and revealing holes in the front, like a Vegas cabaret act. The squad even included 58-year-old Phyllis Wagner, who auditioned in a t-shirt that read, Every Inch a Woman, and who came to be known as Pom Pom Mom. Again, Regis. By all odds, the biggest hit of the day was a contestant who wasn't in the least bothered by all the pressure of the competition. 
58-year-old Phyllis Wanger, a longtime Ram fan who said she'd do anything, anything to support her beloved blue and gold, even if it meant putting on black leotards and parading in front of the judges. Why am I out here? Uh, I enjoy life, and I'm just having a good time. I don't expect to make the 26, really. I mean, to be truthful, I'm just... Maybe they, like I said, maybe they need a mascot. I can dance, I can sing. I'm tired of all the drudgery, and whatever happens will happen. Phyllis Wagner is a forgotten and underappreciated figure in 1970s pop culture and probably warrants her own episode, if not her own post on Jezebel.com. Single and a Rams season ticket holder for 30 years, Wagner tried out for the Rams cheerleaders for a seemingly unprecedented reason. She loved the Rams. And she had a sense of humor about her place on the squad. She didn't allow herself to be the butt of anyone's joke. Despite her age, Wagner practiced three nights a week with the rest of the team. And though she looked nothing like her teammates, was proud of who she was and what she looked like. Quote, I have everything in the right places. I may have a little more of it than the girls, but who cares, she would say. Mirish has since claimed that much of the Dallas Cowboys-like hype surrounding the Rams cheerleaders in 1978 was owed to Wagner, that it was largely because of her that the squad was invited on the Merv Griffin show, the Tonight Show, the Today Show, the Mike Douglas show, and Tom Snyder's Tomorrow. For whatever the reason, the Rams cheerleaders seemed to be everywhere in their first season. There was even, at the time, talk of them having their own variety show. Perhaps it's not surprising, given the fact that Hollywood tends to attract young people with dreams. But it seems that each of the cheerleaders had their own idea of how the experience might propel them to bigger things. Man's favorite sport surveys the group to find out what they wanted to get out of the experience. The reason I tried out is because I love it so much. I guess... Just enjoyment. I'm just enjoying it and seeing what's going to happen. If there's a, a movie or acting or anything at all that comes out of it, I'm just going to enjoy it and take what I can from it and take the best, and that's all. But I got in it for exposure because I'm already in the business, and the more exposure you have, the better. You know, one day maybe we'll all get discovered. That last voice was none other than Jenny Lee Harrison. The documentary contrasts the young and optimistic cheerleaders with a dour and cynical Gloria Allred then of the National Organization for Women, who poo-poos the idea that cheerleading might prove to be a stepping stone. Sounds like the old call of the casting couch to me. If you're only going to get into this at the beginning, uh, and, and if you do and you accept almost no pay for it, perhaps one day that will lead to future stardom and you will be discovered and you will become a great actress. There are many, many poor women in Hollywood today who fell for that many years ago who could attest to the fact that that almost never happens. The Rams players don't seem to take too much from the girl power vibe of their cheerleaders either. Regis speaks to a bunch of Rams players, including Joel Youngblood, Pat Hayden, and O.J. Simpson Powell and future Ford Bronco chauffeur Al Cowlings. And the production juxtaposes their comments about wanting to give their cheerleaders private auditions with various suggestive shots of the women doing their thing on the field. If you think man's favorite sport, pom-poms and passes, sounds sexist, well, it's actually a lot worse when you watch it, as the camera undermines a lot of the interviews with the cheerleaders by leering downward at various parts of their bodies. And to be honest, Regis is sort of to blame, too. Here he is interviewing one of the cheerleaders on the field during the debut game. How you doing? Good. 
worst football game I've ever been to in my is, life. Is that right? Can you follow all the action? I'm trying, but I love it every minute of it. You know what a third down pass is? No, I don't. What are they? <laughs> a little fun for the host, you know what I mean? Yep. That was Regis Philbin groping an L.A. Rams cheerleader and then goofing it up afterwards. And here he is body shaming Phyllis Wagner and Wagner graciously deflecting. And how's Phyllis doing? Why is Phyllis's uniform different than yours? Well, it's like this. I got more room to cover. <laughs> oh, Regis, it's fantastic. I can't tell you. I'm just having a fantastic time. Man's favorite sports ends on a dour note with Rams VP Steve Rosenblum, son of Carol, giving Mirish his walking papers along with Mirish's choreographer and costume designer and attempting to erase every vestige of Mirish's legacy from the name he gave to the team, the Embraceable U's, to the Vegas-style outfits he had them wear. The real story of the original L.A. Rams cheerleaders didn't end on a dour note. Among the women on the squad, Dawn Gilliam became J.J. Abrams' lead script supervisor, Christy Wheeler became a pastor, Shauna Mayer became a financial development manager for the Salvation Army, Cindy Landis became a Grammy-winning songwriter, Myra Reyes became a lawyer and the founder of the Ralph's Riders Foundation, a charity that supports people with spinal cord injuries. Patty Cotera became Apollonia, co-starring with Prince in Purple Rain. We talked at length with Jenny Lee Harrison about her career and Phyllis Wagner. She would officially retire from cheerleading after performing at the Super Bowl at the age of 60. And as per her request, When Wagner died at the age of 84, she was buried in her Rams cheerleading costume, pom-poms and all. But perhaps more important than the sum of their individual accomplishments, the 1978 Rams cheerleaders presented a counter-narrative about what pro-cheerleading might become. I'm not naive. The Rams cheerleaders became Rams cheerleaders because they were hot but it was a hot infused with quirkiness and individuality and where personality and pulchritude somehow seemed connected and not at odds with one another. Today's NFL cheerleaders might be in better physical condition and they're certainly better dancers, but with their surgically enhanced looks and their every movement carefully synchronized by a corporation, it makes them blend into one another. Nowadays, NFL cheerleaders are expected to live in Stepford. Thank you for listening to The Greatest Show on Grass podcast, part of the Sideshow Network. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and spread the word to friends who enjoy football, Hollywood history, and their frequently ridiculous overlap. <laughs> <laughs>